Bonds just made a huge move, nearly historic. The 10-year U.S. Treasury, for example, that has fallen by 119 basis points in yield in a matter of only 47 trading days. Going that far that fast has only happened six times over the preceding 30 years. So quite naturally, it raises the question, what does all of this mean? And the one that immediately follows from it, where are we going to go from here, both short run as well as long run? And the answer to those questions depends upon a couple of critical factors, factors that we can uncover by going back and looking at those prior periods to find a common set of circumstances, a common theme behind these very sharp bond rallies and what they really mean, again, not just in the short run, but also as a long run. Before we start doing that, let's put the numbers together so we can, we can describe our parameters for what we're intending to find here. And we're going to use the 10-year U.S. Treasury because it's easy, it's common, it's quite simple and straightforward. And the 10-year U.S. Treasury was 4.98% on October 19th, and by December 27th, it was down to 379. As I said, 119 basis points in a matter of 47 trading days. So we'll look at the same 47 trading day period, and we find only six times previously have we seen anything more than 100 basis points in yield, drop in yield in that short period of a time. And of course, the one just before 2023 was March of 2020, or actually the, the period leading up to March of 2020. On March 9th of 2020, the 10-year had hit at that time a record low of 54 basis points in yield, or 0.54%, and it had been down 136 basis points in yield over the preceding 47 trading days. Now, what would follow from that is an immediate backup in yields as the world scrambled to sell, especially off-the-run treasuries, in the wake of a massive global dollar shortage. That will be a recurring theme. So huge dollar shortage that in that case led to a backup in yields, an immediate backup in yields, because not because treasury market liquidity was broken, as you often hear, but because the massive dollar shortage forced a whole ton of foreign sales of assets that don't have an actual market for them. But the bigger point, from 0.54% and the then record low in 10-year yields, it backed up for a variety of reasons, not just the short-term selling and off-the-run treasuries, but you know, by June 5th, the 10-year was back up to 0.91%, so roughly 40 basis points over the next couple of months. And then there was another rally in treasuries that brought the 10-year down to its, its current record low of 52 basis points by August 4th. Where it went from there, because August 4th into September, the September effect yields then went higher. And this is a pattern that we see recurring in pretty much all of these periods. You got a big downturn in yields, a big rally in bonds, and then a short-term sale, a short-term sell-off, a short-term retracement yields back up a little bit, maybe in some cases a little bit more than others, before potentially going in that next leg, the next rally afterward. And of course, as I said, in March of 2020, those circumstances were largely dictated by a global dollar shortage that kept up for quite a period of time, along with a whole bunch of economic as well as political uncertainty related to the pandemic and the overreactions to it. Before March of 2020, you got to go all the way back to the middle of 2011, a period we come back to quite a bit because there was a lot that happened in 2011 that was overshadowed by the events in 2008 when 
In a lot of respects, 2011 was equally as important as the crisis in 2008 because 2011 was a second massive global dollar problem that became a banking problem in a matter of just a few years. It was absolutely devastating for the impact, the permanent impact, the impact it had on making the 2008 crisis into the permanent restructuring of the monetary system and the economy that we're still trying to live with Today, if it wasn't for the 2011 crisis, you have to wonder if we would have had this silent depression this entire time. But in, in the middle of 2011, the bond market was again unexpectedly rallying because massive deflationary potential, not just deflationary potential, collateral squeeze, deflationary reality, banks that were, on the, that were teetering on the edge, talking about rescues, reviving the 2008 programs from the Fed, the ECB, dollar swaps, all of that stuff was coming back up in 2011. So the 10-year U.S. Treasury by uh, September 22nd, 2011 had fallen 122 basis points in a matter of 47 trading days. It rallied all the way down to 1.72%. And then from there, over the next month and a couple days, it sold off pretty sharply, the yield getting all the way back up to 2.42%. So again, the recurring pattern where you have a big rally and then a short run sell-off. And then the rate would go back. We'd have another rally in the 10-year in the treasury, in the treasury market, in the bond market. And the 10-year rate would hover around 2% until May 2012 before the next leg down in the rally. And by leg down, I mean leg down in interest rates. So from that point on, you're talking about a short-run sell-off of about a month and then another six, seven months of just kind of going sideways before the rally came back and continued. Again, the common theme here, dollar shortage. Before 2011, the previous big rally in bonds was December 2008. And of course, the 47 trading days before December 22nd, 2008 were global dollar shortage. Crisis, banking crisis, the biggest one since the Great Depression. So the 10-year got down to 2.16% on December 22nd. It would go a little bit further um, having already dropped by almost 200 basis points in yield in a matter of just 47 trading days, the ultimate low would be December 30th when the 10-year got to 2.11%. And then again, same, same pattern, same template here. A short-run retracement in yields where they, the 10-year backed up to 3.07, which is almost a full percentage point of retracing. That by February 9th, 2009, before the next leg down in the crisis, but in terms of the bond market, the final stage of the Great Recession, the final stage of the global monetary crisis that led that caused the Great Recession, only brought the 10-year back down to 2.51% again by March 18th. So not as far down as it had been in December. And so you had yields that went back up from there, which the opposite of what's supposed to happen in QE because we get interest rates backwards. At least economists make us get interest rate backwards. So again, you have the big downturn in interest rates, big rally in bonds, short-term sell-off, then maybe another rally depending on circumstances where it goes ultimately from there. To the pre-crisis era, we're going to go to August and September of 2002. In August, of, August 14th of 2002, the 10-year had dropped about 104 basis points in 47 trading days down to 4.06%. 
And there was another period just a month later, September 23rd, 2002, where it had been down 101 basis points to 3.7%. So you got this middle 2002 rally in bonds, largely because at the time, the bond market wasn't sure why the U.S. economy and really the global economy wasn't, wasn't igniting into recovery as it was supposed to do following the conclusion of the dot-com recession the year before. You had this very mild recession. You had everything set up for a recovery, including... As we were all told, Alan Greenspan's massive rate cuts through 2001, that didn't appear to be working. First of all, you had the stock market, the dot-com bust, which was still busting at that point, and all sorts of major concerns about what might happen to the U.S. economy and the general global conditions thereafter. So bonds began to rally in 2002, rethinking the entire recovery trajectory, and after that initial sharp rally in the middle of 2002, you got bonds that were down to around 3.7% September that year. And really, they, they sold off a little bit, got back up to around 4%, and then kind of stayed sideways until May 2003. So you had a little tiny bit of retracement. But more than that, it was a pause in the rally that lasted quite a few months. You're talking about eight months thereafter. And then, there, of course, there was one more rate cut from the Fed in 2003, and that was the final rally for the middle 2000s period. So when you look at the middle 2000s, it wasn't a global dollar shortage. It was rethinking growth and inflation expectations from the perspective of economic growth potential, which, as we know today, benefit of hindsight, bonds were pretty much right on as far as that was, that was concerned. Not just in the fact that growth after the dot-com recession proved to be lackluster. We also had to factor in the enormous dangerous deflationary potential for from the the housing bubble period. And what was different about 2002 was the market was reassessing the late stage potential and what that actually meant. And it was nothing good. Again, common theme here, dollar shortages, bond market rethinking, not for the good side, growth and inflation expectations. And we should point out that in 2001 itself, during the dot-com bubble, there was a pretty sharp rally in bonds, including up to, sadly, September 11th and 12th and 13th, I think the 14th of 2001, where the 10-year fell about 80 basis points over a 47-day period up to September 11th, 2001. So there was a sharp rally in bonds in the dot-com recession itself, but it didn't quite get that far that we see in, in the rest of these, rest of these historical examples of 47 trading day periods. So before the dot-com recession, we got to go back to the Asian financial crisis. They love to label everything financial. As I mentioned in a recent video, there's a huge difference between financial and monetary. And the Asian financial crisis, as it turned out, was an Asian monetary crisis. In many ways, just a rehearsal, a dress rehearsal for what we would see starting in 2007, except it was limited to Japan and parts of Asia rather than spilling over and spreading through the United States, Europe, and pretty much everywhere. So it was a limited case study and what we should expect, what we actually had to go through about a decade later. In terms of the 10-year U.S. Treasury, by October 5th, 1998, so just after LTCM, just after the major stuff that happened, including on Wall Street, the Russian, Russian crisis there, the 10-year had dropped by 136 basis points over a 47 trading day period. The yield dropped to 4.16%, which is down pretty sharply. Again, LTCM, a bunch of monetary stuff that nobody paid attention to. Even the Federal Reserve policymakers weren't really sure what was happening. 
And then from there, yields again, short run rose very sharply, got up to 4.93% by November 6, 1998. So within a month, yields are back up sharply. Then there was another rally from early November through January 1999, though it, was never, it wasn't a rally that brought yields back down to where they were in, in September and October 98. Instead, the 10s only got back to about 460, and then, of course, they went higher from there. The rally during that Asian financial crisis, a really Asian dollar shortage, came at the end of that crisis rather than in the middle or toward the beginning. And it came to be that that crisis did not spill over beyond the immediately affected area. So that's a big factor in determining where the bond market goes, really where everything goes from there. In 1998, you got the short run sell-off and then another leg down, but the leg down wasn't a full leg down to a new low in yields. And then the crisis was, we moved past the crisis and moved on from there. The first example of bond yields rallying this sharply goes all the way back to June 6th, 1995. The 10-year had fallen by 108 basis points in the 47 trading days up to that time. It got down to around 6.08%, uh, moved a little bit lower by July 10th, a month forward. It was still around 6.04%. And then again, you get the short run back up in rates, the short run sell-off, where the 10 yield moved up to 6.6% by August 23rd of 1995. And then the next leg in the rally. Again, common theme, common pattern goes on here. Except this time, it wasn't about recession. It wasn't about dollar shortage. It was about reassessing the inflation risks of the middle 1990s. Because back then, the bond market, the economy, economists themselves, policymakers, no one was really sure about what inflation was going to do in particular, nor really the economy, but inflation after 1990. Many people thought we'd go back into a similar regime as in the, as in the 1980s. Some people were expecting a recurrence of the 1970s. What we got instead was inflation rates or consumer price rates that just fell because of productive disinflation, not actual deflation, productive disinflation that by 1995, the market was saying, this productive disinflation as Eurodollar prosperity spreads across the entire world is likely to stick around here. And the Federal Reserve was somewhat recognizing that after Alan Greenspan's rate hikes in 1994 and part of 1995, decided that they were going to cut rates once in the middle of 95 and then again a couple times late 95 into early 1996. So the market was reassessing lower, lower inflation potential even though growth remained steady and robust. And the Federal Reserve was helping the market with that rally by also recognizing the same potential. So essentially, that was the one case, 1995, where the market was rallying for what turned out to be the most positive reasons. Less inflation potential, long-run growth that could be sustained. The great so-called moderation. So the common themes that come up here in our review are essentially they don't the bond rallies of this magnitude don't usually happen during good periods. 1995 was the absolute exception. So you've got 2020, you've got 2011, you've got 2008. So three pretty sharp dollar shortages, which sounds familiar here. Before then, you've got 2002 reassessing recovery potential. You've got 1998 where the market was saying 
LTCM, Asian financial crisis, which is really about dollar, dollar shortage in Asia and deflation. So again, that comes up. And we also see common theme here is the pattern. Sharp rally in bonds, then a oftentimes in almost every case, a multi-month sell-off or retracement in yields where the market has time to reassess what's actually taking place before then either deciding that another leg lower in bond, another leg lower in yields, another rally in bonds is needed because conditions didn't change or they didn't change satisfactorily or they didn't change quite nearly enough. That's when we get the, the rates going down a second time moving forward. Or in some cases, depending upon where the rally actually comes into it. So, for example, in 2011, the rally happened at the beginning part of the 2011 crisis, or what we call Eurodollar number two. So there was more room for rates to go lower after that short-term retracement. Whereas in 2008 and early 2009, the rally shows up toward the end of the great monetary crisis, great not financial crisis. So there wasn't as much, it wasn't as much room for rates to rally after that short-term retracement there. March of 2020, there's still a hell of a lot of uncertainty, still a lot of lingering deflation throughout 2020, but you didn't necessarily get a sharp rally lower. Then again, yields were already at record loads, just half a percent on the 10 year in March of that year. So there wasn't a whole lot of room for them to go lower, even if they were going to go lower. Whereas on the opposite end of the spectrum, 1998, that bond rally, as sharp as it was, came at the tail end of the Asian monetary crisis. So rates were going to go higher from there because the crisis was over and it became pretty clear that it wasn't going to spill over into the rest of the world. It was going to stay localized to mainly Asia and parts of other places, but mainly Asia. So it really depends. Is this bond rally happening closer to the beginning of this period or is it happening at the end of this period? Or are we in a period like 19, the middle 1990s where the market is celebrating the potential for lower inflation expectations moving forward? Well, I think we can eliminate that one because there's nothing about today that looks like the middle 1990s. So we're left asking the question, is this rally toward the beginning of whatever comes next, or have we seen the worst of it? And that's where all of these other indications really come into play. We look at things like interest rate swap spreads, not looking good there. The near-term forward spread, forward interest rates, forward rate markets that are talking about rates going lower, suggesting that, sadly, it looks like we're closer to the beginning of this period than the end. And if so, then we should expect that after rates have made their big rally down, there will be a maybe multi-month backup in yields that last for a couple months here. Rates could potentially go quite a bit higher during it. So we really want to have as much corroboration as we possibly can to really identify, is this rally at the beginning? Is it in the middle or is it closer to the end? And if a lot of the evidence suggests we're at the beginning, then we should expect after the retracing period, another Another rally in bonds that takes rates down again. But what is behind all of this rallying in bonds? What's behind the demand for safety and liquidity? That's really the common factor here. Growth and inflation expectations that are going down and being diminished by a whole range of potential issues that we continue to see popping up all over the macro economy, all over the monetary system. There is no shortage of potential suspects that could potentially lead to further rate decreases, not policy rate decreases, market rate decreases, and policy rate decreases that are simply following the market.
So more and more, I think the balance of evidence shows that we're at the front end of this period, not necessarily the end of the period. One of the factors that will dictate where markets go from here, bonds, stocks, pretty much anything, the potential train wreck that just showed up in the household survey of the employment numbers. That's the video I've got linked below, breaking down what that showed us. As always, I thank you very much for joining me. Huge thank you, Eurodollar University members and subscribers. And until next time, take care.